0: from hypebeast radio i'm jeff staple and this is the business of hype a show about creative entrepreneurs brand builders innovators and the realities behind the dreams they've built I'm so excited about this week's guest on the show. Interestingly enough, he doesn't have just one job. He kind of has two amazing jobs. And he is definitely unlike any other guest that we've had on before. By day, he serves as senior correspondent on Comedy Central's The Daily Show. And by night, he's a stand-up comic. Sometimes, you can find him at the smallest, dingiest comedy clubs. And on other nights, you can turn on Netflix and see him there. He also has starred in the highest grossing romantic comedy of the past decade, Crazy Rich Asians. Now, I've mentioned this to you before, but what I love most about this show is that everyone from all walks of life are down to be on. There is no single genre that connects everyone. And while sometimes that actually makes the show hard to describe to others, but I think if there is one through line, it's that everybody on the show loves what they do. And they've all had to fight for the right to live a life that they love. And while the word hype might insinuate sneakers and kids lining up outside of a streetwear store, hype actually does exist in every sector of the planet. Our guest this week is a prime example of someone who's navigated his way through it all, building a massive fan base along the way while maintaining the highest level of respect in his craft. He also discusses how his very multicultural background helped to form who he is today. Originally from Malaysia, he grew up in Singapore, but obtained a law degree from Australia, only to end up working as a struggling comic in New York City. His sets are filled with extreme fervor, where no topic is left unturned, from racism and consumerism, to political discourse, to immigration. But through his impassioned speeches, he always manages to give us a fresh perspective as an astute observer of culture and he is also a key figure in paving the way for more people of color to be able to tell their stories so get ready pull up a chair get some popcorn as i am about to get very serious with a very funny man ladies and gentlemen comedian ronnie chang
1: Well, let's before we get too far down. Please, proper introduction of who we have in the studio today. Oh,
2: um, I'm going to introduce myself. Yeah, we have Jeff Staples, first of thank all. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Jeff Staples, and um, world <laughs> yeah, Class Design. No, th- you don't ex- introduce me. Oh, I me. don't even give you my my oh, Okay. <laughs> Uh, and then we have uh, just a ordinary guy Ryan Chang here. So thanks for having me. Thank
1: you. Do you want to just interview me this
2: hour? I would love to. Actually, I'm more <laughs> curious about you than myself. I know I know my shit. I don't know anything about you know right. how you, we'll how talk. your process is. We'll yeah. talk
1: after. Yeah. Oh, we'll we'll compare notes. Yeah. Okay. So would you call yourself a professional working full time comedian? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Damn. Well, it's time for the slams already. Yeah, man. Uh, I guess Are so. You? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I am yeah,
1: how long did it take for you to earn that title? um it took
2: or let's say how old is that title for you? I don't like to pat myself on the back with this stuff, mm-hmm. so it's hard to talk about achievements, mm-hmm. but I would say when you enter Australia, you have to write on the immigration form your right, occupation your occupation, yeah, and so i would i usually i I went to Australia as a student, so I write student every mm-hmm. time I write student, and then there's one time when I just wrote I started writing comedian in it, and I think that was when I started. Like when I made stopped making money from it, I mean, yeah, that's that's, yeah. Uh, until I made money, and um, I didn't have a job uh, that I quit to do comedy. I oh. went straight into comedy, right? You know what I mean. So I w- it wasn't like I was I had to give up a job. I I couldn't get a job, so I was just doing comedy well, instead. Well,
1: in some ways, comedy is like sports because like if you're a professional basketball player, right. It's hard to say when did you start playing basketball seriously? Like you started when you were five years old, probably, you know, playing basketball. Right. And then you become a professional athlete. I think with comedy, and correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. you're sort of probably always funny. And then at a certain point, someone pays you to do the same thing.
2: Well, I don't I don't know. I don't think <laughs> it's so, not like man. That. I don't okay, think explain. so. I think it's everyone's funny, man. I mean, you're funny. The guy, you know, people people in this building, people who work for you are funny. Yeah. But okay. but the difference is can they be funny to strangers? And can they be funny in a way which, in my opinion, you came up with funny stuff that no one else could have thought of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So everyone can, you know, yeah. that's what she said. But, 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 like, anyone can do the meme jokes and all that. Like that's To get a laugh quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's the, sorry, the obvious stuff. Everyone right. can get a quick laugh. Right. That's easy. But can you do it to strangers who are not emotionally invested in your outcome? <laughs> uh, can you do it uh, for an hour? <laughs> yeah, can you, to, can you do it for any amount of time? Can you, can you come up with stuff that no one would have thought of? So we, we keep saying, you know, there's funny guys around. Everyone's funny. I believe True. everyone's everyone's funny. But you know, professional is a different skill set, right? Okay. Yeah. Can someone who's not that funny naturally yeah. become a comedian? I think so. I, I know tons of guys, <laughs> myself included. <laughs> Honestly, where we're like, I I don't think I'm funny, but I just there's something there's something in my head right. that lets me go on stage uh-huh. and make strangers laugh in mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. So the moment
1: before you go on stage, does something turn on for you?
2: uh yeah i guess so yeah i guess so and but when you I mean, step off it turns off you're back to ronnie i turn it off but the thing is this is where i'm a bit of a weirdo like guys are this goes into etiquette a little bit because okay. it's not just a skill thing it's an etiquette thing in my opinion mm-hmm. the guys in the green room who are always trying to be funny in the green room yes. were always the least funny on stage ah. because it's like mm-hmm. if you're funny on stage you let your act speak for itself mm-hmm. you don't need to prove anything right you know what i mean So I come off stage and yeah, I mean, you quote unquote, turn off the switch or Uh you're not on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not because I'm mentally like changing persona like Daniel Mm Day-Lewis. It's just because I don't feel I have anything to prove. I said everything I (laughs) want to say on stage. Yeah. You know, I don't have to come off stage and like prove again to these people that I'm funny. Like right. I do that professionally, right? Right. And I'm in work mode or whatever. It is. So, so I don't like come off and like keep the jokes going. Cause yeah, let me tell you something. That dude is annoying. <laughs> it, the guy who doesn't turn off that right. that guy's an annoying person because he's just always on. He's always trying to make jokes. It's like, yo, just be a normal person. Right. You know what I mean, so yeah, that that's you know, you're not like, on the clock, bro. Like yeah. <laughs> so that's like more of an etiquette thing than a skill thing. Cause right. Because I just find it like, it's almost like I find it like rude to be like trying to be funny like all the time in front of like other comics or like, you know, like, what are you trying to improve? Yeah. yeah. Just chill. All right.
1: So um, I think in order to make a good comic, you know, you have to go back a little bit into your upbringing, right? I think to me, good comics tend to have a lot of like growing up pains and scars, right? Like things I did to go through, it it sort of makes for a better comic. Um, So let's go back a little bit. You have a very varied, mixed global upbringing, right? So where were you born first? Uh, I was born in Johor Bahru, Malaysia. Okay. You're born in Malaysia?
2: Yeah. Okay. And how long did you live there for? Uh, I was there till I was about two and a half or three years old. And then my my parents were already in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. They went there for college. Oh, okay. So uh, they went to college very late in life. Mm-hmm. They had two kids and then they went to America for college. Okay. So from Malaysia, they went to- uh, New Hampshire. New Hampshire, Manchester, New Hampshire. And then they only took me there when I was two and a half because mm-hmm. they thought I was too young to go. And they didn't have the money, quite frankly- mm-hmm to support like a family and go to college. They were just self-supporting themselves. Okay. So they brought me there to New- Manchester, New Hampshire and then uh, I stayed, I lived in Manchester, New Hampshire till I was about seven or eight. So about four years. And then? Four or five years yeah. and then we moved back to Malaysia. Okay. And then this is where it gets weird for Americans because I moved back to Malaysia but I went to school in Singapore and Singapore and Malaysia is just it's just a bridge. It's mm-hmm. just a causeway. So okay. it's like it's like New Jersey, Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So I would wake up in Malaysia I Take the bus to Singapore, go right. to school, and then take the bus back. But
1: correct me if I'm wrong. I could be off, but did Singapore used to be Malaysia? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. and then like someone
2: made Singapore recently, right? Uh, in 1965, they broke off from Malaysia. They were actually kicked out of the Malaysian Federation. Okay, so it's almost like saying um, New York, Manhattan wanted out. to be its own country. Oh no, they got kicked out. Singapore oh, they got, got kicked, kicked out. out. Yeah, okay. they got kicked out against their will, and then they made it. And then they kicked they made the ass. It and ruled yeah, they the kicked world. ass. Yeah, yeah.
1: In like. 40 years.
2: Yeah. The typical underdogs, you know, <laughs> like start from the bottom literally right. and then they managed to have like one of the highest GDPs or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So you went to Singapore. Yeah. I went to Singapore for school and then we eventually moved to Singapore. Mm-hmm. So I was doing, you know, I was doing the commute and then we eventually just moved to Singapore. So I lived in Singapore for like 10 years. Okay.
1: And this is now like high schoolish. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. So this is from, I was in Singapore from seven till 18. Okay. Yeah. I went to Australia for law school. Okay. So I lived in Australia. For Why'd you pick years. Australia? Uh, it was undergraduate law, so yeah. it was more cost effective. And uh-huh. my sister was already there. It was closer to Singapore. Um, yeah. So, just path of least resistance, quite honestly, mm-hmm. because the US colleges wanted like essays and all this shit. And then Australian colleges were like, whatever, right. just come. And then, so I just went there. Yeah. <laughs> and it was Melbourne? Melbourne. No, yeah. the University of Melbourne, yeah. And um, Melbourne is kind of like the cultural capital of Australia. You know, they have the Melbourne Comedy Festival there. They have. Um, the jazz festival film fest melbourne film festival depending on what industry you're in it's hard to blow up you know as much like uh entertainment industry is a little mm-hmm. small there yeah. i think yeah. even though it's the biggest you know it's one of the capital cities in australia mm-hmm. um the way they make movies um just for me if you're in entertainment in australia it's a little tough because in australia i think they skew very old uh-huh uh I mean you know design more than me so i i am curious to know what you think about their design stuff but but in terms of storytelling mm-hmm. they skew very old so mm-hmm. it's a bunch of old people yeah. trying to tell stories for old people uh-huh. or even worse, old people trying to tell stories for young people right so I'm in the storytelling business, so for me that doesn't jive very well right, you know? right. like um uh they don't have as much they just have a smaller market that's mm-hmm. all in Australia you did know? you
1: start stand up in yeah. australia in okay yeah, yeah. Did you already find it to be like you saw hurdles coming up on no, the horizon? No, I,
2: I actually saw a lot of opportunity. You know, my my mindset going in was always like I, I never had a chip on my shoulder with race. I always was like, I'm just going to try to, you know, make jokes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I hope that people wanted to hear from me. And I actually had a good response in Melbourne. Like Australia was always really good to me. They yeah. always, I, I built a fan base, you know, like I, I was touring theaters three years into doing comedy. Okay. And I, w- I would have kept going there, you know, uh-huh. I just came here for to do The Daily Show. But right. I was, you know, I was, I was still Happy doing and, my thing. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah. But the, and I tried to make a TV show there and I did make a TV show there. And mm-hmm. there's just a lot of clashes with, you know, cultural mm-hmm. clashes in terms of like what I think the marketing should have been. Uh, just to put it very simply, like, I think that you can market comedy in a very savvy, sophisticated way. Yeah. The way we do it in America. And in Australia, it's still very much like you know you you better be putting in your thumbs up and giving a big cheesy smile. When right. We, uh, although, otherwise, how how do we know that it's not You're com- funny? Yeah. Yeah. How do we know that this is comedy? <laughs> if you if you show Atlanta uh-huh. that the marketing from Atlanta in yeah. Australia, they'll be like, "Who the fuck would watch right. this?" Is this a
1: horror movie? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But for
2: us, we're like, like I feel that like cool advertising raises more questions than answers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so. For me, I I, I was trying to play it more subtle and sophisticated. Mm -hmm. And for them, it's very like, if you're not white, just, even if you're white, just make it, tell us what it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's. Do it the standard way. Yeah. Do it the standard way. Don't, don't try to reinvent the wheel here. We're not, you know. So that's, I, I had a lot of clashes with that.
1: But you went to Australia for law. Like, I don't understand the transition from law to comedy.
2: Oh, um,. It was just, I just thought it was uh, something I could do. I just wanted to try it. Really? That's what happened, yeah. I you just, just went to open mics and tried? I, I did a university campus comedy competition. Uh-huh. That was my first gig. And then I just thought I could do it. I mm-hmm. just felt like, oh, I want. I feel like I could do this. Let me just confirm it. And then the, I, I won that competition. And then... Wait, did friends tell you, yo, Ronnie, you're funny? No, no, no. In fact, they told me not to do it. <laughs> yeah. My best friends, they were like, yo, don't do it. You're going to embarrass yourself. How did you practice for that? Uh, that's a great question. The first, first ever gig, I just was in my own head trying to, I wrote some jokes. I thought they would work and I didn't have the benefit of any stage time to practice it. So I just tried it out in front of like one or two friends. I ran in my head a lot, you know, just over and over again. I kept running in my head. Yeah. How long was that set? Uh, it was a five minute set and I think I wrote it. It took me two weeks to write it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you it, had it memorized like to yeah, the T. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And But it was very green. It was my first time going on stage. So right. I didn't know. And you won it. Yeah, I won that competition and, you know, nothing like I th- I thought it was cool, but whatever, right? Then uh-huh. the, immediately I wanted to go do it again, but I wanted to do it to strangers. Because mm-hmm. at the competition, is a lot of students for, and friends. Yeah. And I was like, from that moment, I was like, I never want to have friends to come and watch me ever again. <laughs> because I just wanted to do it to strangers. Uh-huh. So I just hit the open mic. Yeah. In in Australia. And because it's a smaller market in Australia, like if you, I was doing one gig a month mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my god, I'm I'm like comic. I'm I'm actually yeah. doing comedy here. Yeah. And then uh you know, for me one gig a month was like a lot. Mm-hmm. And then it became in Australia you can do like you could do like three a week mm-hmm. in Melbourne. Um, but you wouldn't be able to do that every single week. You know what I mean? You would do like you could do two and then maybe you skip a week and then mm-hmm. next week you go to two. In New York, you can do you can do like 10 every night. Mm-hmm. Like if you hit it hard, you can do 10. If you take it easy, you can do five. You can hit any, you know what I mean? You're saying in Melbourne, you would just be
1: repeating the same places after a while. Is that oh, why yeah, you can't yeah, no. do it that much?
2: No, no. It's just because there's not enough people running rooms. Oh, so, right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're repeating stuff as yeah. well. So you can't, you know, you can't you do- You see like the same guy in the audience. <laughs> right, like, right, right. There's stuff like that. But it's also just, there's only, you know, there's one comedy club in, in Melbourne, Uh, city now there used to be two
1: is there something addictive about that like you mentioned you wanted to just hit more strangers Yeah.
2: yeah, so you got
1: you got the bug
2: yeah you got the bug Uh, you you get the bug Uh and then it's this weird addiction to try to figure out the next joke figure out the next joke to get laughs and then you you know I mean I'm, I'm flashing forward about 10 years here but then you come to New York City and it's like yeah it's just getting on stage and trying to figure out this bit trying to write a new line for this joke and then being able to go to the next gig and then try again and, mm. then, and then work it out and, and then go to the next one and, and figure out if it confirmed that it works and then the fourth one and really like, like fine-tune it. Yeah, yeah five, you do six shows a night and then you can really see the progression and yeah, that running around New York, that energy and trying to get just like a crazy person just trying to make yeah, strangers it sounds lab. crazy. It sounds yeah, insane. insane. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it makes no sense. Financially, it makes no sense. If you're doing it for money, if you're doing it for fame, quite mm-hmm. frankly, uh, you know, I, you should just. You're, you're <laughs> play never the gonna be, yeah. You're never gonna be famous enough. You're never gonna have enough money. Yeah. So if you, if, if it's just pure addiction, and it's easy for me to say because you know I, I can make money from it now, mm-hmm. but I wish I could tell myself back then like you know if, if you're doing it for if you can't find joy in this, yeah, then there's no point doing because this it's, it doesn't make any financial sense because you're. If you're, if you're a successful comic, mm-hmm. the first thing to go is usually stand-up. Yeah. Because the movies and the TV show makes way more money. Right. So right. so you have to be doing it for love of the game. Yeah, yeah. You know, to really get good at it and to, what, go out every weekend? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I got to go to San Francisco tonight to go do, you know, a college gig. Mm-hmm. Like, to travel on the road like that? Yeah. You have to love it, man. Right. You know?
1: I was going to ask you, with those early Melbourne comedy clubs, yeah. how much were you making in those nights? Uh,
2: I can't remember. It was probably zero or like... <laughs> You know, 20 bucks or something really yeah whatever it was yeah but then you would go back to law school during the daytime no so so yeah so i would um i I started doing comedy at the end of my law school run Uh so my final year of law school is when i started doing comedy so by the time i finished law school i was that was only when it started to really kick in where i was like doing a bit more gigs here and there and um i would i was studying for the Australian bar yep. exam so I would just I would study for the bar and yep. then just go do gigs at night okay. but it wasn't like like I said it wasn't like I could do gigs every night in uh-huh. Australia yeah. so it wasn't, it wasn't that busy yeah. yeah it's not like New York where you would be working a day and then doing like five gigs right. at night it did would you be, pass the bar? Uh, I passed the Australian bar okay. and then I did a New York bar and then I failed it yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. did you work in an Australian firm? Uh, not really I interned at an Australian firm Okay, I didn't work in a firm yeah. I never I couldn't get a job I wasn't a good <laughs> student man I wasn't a good law student my right. grades were like bad you know? okay yeah and all this time, are you, like, explaining to your parents what's happening in your life? No, I never told them. You never told them you did stand-up? I never told them, yeah. I didn't tell them. I just went to do it. And, <laughs> and like, I like to show results. I don't really like to talk about what I'm going to do. Uh-huh. I'd rather just do it and then show people, the like, I, I did this thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, um, also, my parents were in a separate country. Yeah. So, I was in Australia. They were in Singapore. Right. So, they didn't even need to. They didn't know. Um I didn't feel the need to tell them. I didn't want to deal with that stuff. Mm -hmm. And also, I was technically studying for the by exam. So they want, like, asking what the hell are you doing? Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, he's just studying for the by exam. Yeah. And actually, I was studying for a by exam and and trying to do comedy. Right. You know, so yeah, so I just kept doing it. And yeah.
1: Okay. So, how do you transition out of Australia? How do you, because a lot of people that I know who live there, it's like, it's very geographically far away but also like it's an island it's like a big island yeah. but like
2: how did you jump ship off that island to the mainland and why new york uh it was just a daily show i got hired on a daily show i actually out of australia you yeah. like so what happened was i just did a show with uh trevor noah mm-hmm. in 2013 at just for last in montreal and um we i guess i had good set he really liked it and then we didn't speak for two years mm-hmm. and then in two years later i get this I request to audition for a daily show. Okay. And I suspect it was him. Yeah. And, um, you know, afterwards I confirmed that he was the guy. He he just championed me onto uh-huh. the show. Yeah. Oh, cool. Because he wanted an Asian voice on the show. He felt it was important. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky I'm the guy he chose. But, um, he, you know, he could have chose much funnier people or people he was closer to. Mm-hmm. But he just really wanted me on the show. And he also, he didn't have to do that, man. Because yeah. he doesn't need to give a platform. He doesn't owe Asian people anything. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah. he was like adamant, like, no, we need someone to represent fucking you know, a billion people on this planet. Yeah. So, you know.
1: How did you audition? Via the, a webcast or
2: something? Uh, he, we, the first round of audition was you self-tape, you write your own daily show segment, and then you perform an existing daily show segment that they send you. Okay. And then the second round is same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do another piece that they send you, and then you write another daily you show segment. You write your segment. own segment. Yeah. And then the third uh, round was you, in New York, you have like a test with Trevor at the desk so i flew to new york and i was actually yeah i was actually coming back from montreal anyway i was doing just for laughs and oh. then so it was but i would have flown here just for that and anyway, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Mean? and then after the the in-person thing mm-hmm. i went to edinburgh because i was doing edinburgh fringe festival um i got hired there so i went straight from i was on tour when i got hired so uh-huh. i went straight from edinburgh to new york so i moved straight to new york city i didn't go back home yeah wow
1: well when you did those audition things like that you submitted yeah. Was there ever a point where you're like, I'm going to stop doing comedy after a while and get yes. a real job? Yes. I was
2: always one foot out the door. Yeah. yeah, I was always one foot out the door. Yeah. Was that almost like the last... Was it? Were you at the tail end of that? No, I wouldn't you say so. You still had some. Okay. I still had some left because I was actually going okay in Australia. Uh-huh. I just had one foot out the door because I kept feeling like this can't be a real job, right? Right. But, you know, I, I have to stop eventually, right? Mm-hmm. So I just had one foot out the door. And then when the Daily Show thing happened, it was very much a confirmation of like, yeah, yeah you can, you know, You have a chance here. right? a shot here. By the way, you mentioned flying to like Montreal and that's where you met Trevor, right? Do they pay you to fly out and everything? Yeah, they'll fly you out for Montreal. So you're making
1: decent money getting flown to places.
2: Yeah, I guess so. But uh, Montreal, yeah, they fly you out to do it. But a lot of this other stuff in Australia was what happened was that I just built my touring Mm -hmm. myself. Because you want to talk about the business side of things. Like in Australia, we couldn't people, all the comics of my generation, we couldn't get on TV. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, partially because there was no opportunities, there was no money. Yeah, and also partially because we want the right look and we want the right voice for the TV. They have, and there. I
1: imagine you fail on both accounts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> look so, and voice. Yeah. yeah. So,
2: and and I I don't think it's racial per se. I just think, like, for example, you know, I'm a pretty, um, I'm a pretty abrupt dude. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to wake up in the morning. I can't be on a morning show, you know. Right. I, I and I, you can Google me. I've been on Australian morning shows, mm-hmm. and it's been. It literally, it literally becomes like a fast. Like I'm I'm telling them like it becomes like this a, a, aggressive showdown. Yeah, yeah. So um, my point is like my personality maybe not uh-huh. so much race or whatever the reasons are. We we never got on, on TV. So the way we do it in Australia is we use the Melbourne Comedy Festival, which is a month long comedy festival, and we do an hour each. Like a comic does a, a festival yes. show. You guys in America would call it a one man show, uh-huh. but in Australia and Edinburgh we think of it as a festival show, like a okay. comedy yeah. show. So you do one show with like a story arc and a and jokes, hopefully, right? And the idea is what you go there. Hopefully, people come, and then the next year you come back with a new show, mm-hmm. and then more people come because mm-hmm. they liked your first one. So in Australia, I was able to double my numbers every year. Okay. So where I went from like a thirty-seater the first year and sold out everything, and then the next year I I, I moved to like a hundred fifty-seater and um added shows and then the next year it was five hundred seater and then next year it was a thousand seater. So I was around the thousand seater wow. zone when when the Daily Show took me up, you know? Amazing. Yeah. So that that was the business side of things. We we didn't and because we were on T V, mm-hmm. it worked in our favor because People would hear about us, but the only way you could watch us was to watch us live. Yeah, right. You know, it was supply was very limited, yeah. and the demand was quite they couldn't high. Just dial you up. On yeah, the you phone. couldn't dial yeah. it up, so they had to come and watch it. So, which has been kind of the model of my own, my whole career actually. Like uh-huh. less is more. Uh huh. So I we limited supply, and people would show up, and it became like this. Um, and we we were saying things that that we would we would say whatever the hell we wanted because we weren't on TV. Yeah, we had nothing to lose. Right. And we, and so I think because of that, I, in storytelling, I feel like authenticity resonates. Mm-hmm. And I think people could feel that we were saying stuff that was really authentic, describing real experiences in Australia. Yeah. We just yeah. talk about real shit, however we want to talk about it, you know, doing whatever we wanted. And so right. I think that kind of resonated with people and built a fan base. Yeah. And, and it's also an indictment on, Australian television that they never figure out recognize how to tell recognize that yeah. oh not so much recognize but they want supplying that need mm-hmm. in storytelling to people right. you know yeah. not that they should have recognized us and put us on TV I'm just saying that <laughs> they should have told those stories yeah. but because they never told those stories we were able to describe reality in a way which people were like yeah that's how the world actually is you Right. know right. it's not just all white people it's that there's Indian people there's Chinese yeah. people they and all have voices yeah, yeah we all have voices and they're not just uh, stereotype characters right, right? they right. all have yeah, three-dimensional <laughs> uh, they, they, they are um, people with the full range of human emotions yeah so um yeah i think that's what happened um was your audience pretty mixed as well yeah i always had like a, because i think asians don't really know um comedy like at least when i was coming up it was weird for asian people to pay money to go watch comedy mm mm-hmm. Obviously, there's some people who will like get into it, but yeah. the idea of like why why can't we just watch on YouTube? Mm-hmm. Like to pay and watch a live comedian, right? So I think there was a little bit of educating the crowd as well in uh-huh. terms of like oh, this is a thing you can do. Yeah. Um, but I've always my crowd. I think just by eyeballing, I don't have any actual stats on this, but I feel like I was always like 30 percent Asian, 70 percent non-Asian, mm-hmm. or, or thereabouts. You yeah. Know? Yeah.
0: Now, let me recap for a moment some of the risks that Ronnie took here. A law student turned comedian. I mean, who does that? And then he decides to leave his familiar hometown for a new job in a faraway land, America. All with the pressure of not only disappointing his Asian parents, but also being the face for Asians all around the world on one of the most popular TV shows around. Wow, that is a lot to take in. And to be honest, it's not even the point I'm trying to make here. There was a pivotal point in his career where he realized he couldn't make it on Australian TV, whether it was his look or his voice. And so rather than trying to fit into the mold there, he found a platform where he could completely be himself. In his case, it was the Melbourne Comedy Festival. As Ronnie states himself, quote, "...authenticity resonates." He used comedy as a way to tell stories unapologetically, and by doing so, he eventually found a small but loyal group of people who identified with him. Ronnie says something important here, that quote, Australian TV wasn't supplying that need and they should have told those stories. Ronnie noticed there was a void and he found the perfect opportunity to fill it. Now, Ronnie's industry is a bit different than my world of design, but there's actually a lot of similarities. How many times have you been tired of another store or brand or you were sick of seeing collaborations handled the same way over and over again? It's easy to fall into the same old, same old. And when it comes to comedy and the entertainment world, archaic formulas rule the system and can often box you into common narratives that those in power want you to see. As Kirby Jean Raymond from Pierre Moss said on a previous episode, some people want to just check that box. And even while this narrative may be changing now, it can still be a tough fight. But by being authentically himself, Ronnie not only became relatable, but also opened doors to more opportunity. For Ronnie, there was never the slightest temptation to censor himself, to tone it down, or give in to another stereotype. It was never about being the best Asian comic, but always about being the best comic, period.
1: I want to talk about the metrics a little bit. You mentioned like a thousand person theater. Yeah, yeah. Let's say tickets are 20 bucks per seat. Yeah. So there's $20,000 available to you.
2: Is that yeah. how much you get? Um, or okay. Do you, like, yeah. How do you? Okay. Yeah. So $20 tickets, a uh, thousand people. What will happen is, are you talking about America or Australia? Because America, you'll get less of a cut. Okay. In, in Australia, you'll get a little bit more. Describe Australia first. Uh, Australia would be because in Australia we only have one dude. It's he's the agent manager tour man. He's one dude. We pay one dude commission. Okay. That's it. But in okay. America, you basically make about fifty percent.
1: Okay. After all your expenses. After
2: after expense after commission and tax. Uh huh. You make about fifty cents on the dollar. Yeah. Yeah. In America. Okay. So. And um, is it because, but in, in Australia you make a little bit more. Okay, what I'm saying. yeah. But and if you
1: as a comedian as a yeah. performer want yeah. pyrotechnics or yeah. LED screen, that yeah. comes
2: out of that budget, right? Uh, that's again a good question. I think what happens is that if you want more shit, here's how it works in America. Like they give you a. There's two ways you tour in America. It's you. They give you a guarantee, mm-hmm. or you do a. a they call it four walling. Four walls. Four walling. It Me- okay. means you just buy the four walls. Uh-huh. You rent the venue, you do whatever you, how you, you want. You got to do whatever you yeah. want. Yeah, And there. so when you give a guarantee, it's usually a guarantee or 85% of the uh, gates, whichever is higher. The guarantee mm-hmm. or the, uh, if you sell 80% it 80% of the sales. 80% of the ticket sales, yeah. yeah. So the manager will take the, the commission on the guarantee mm-hmm. or the 80% of the sales. But I can't remember. If you want to add costs, mm-hmm. I can't remember what happens then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, um, damn, yeah, I should know the business side of this a little bit better, actually. <laughs> um, Because I've never had to have pyrotechnics, so I never had that conversation. Yeah. But presumably, they would, these guys are your business partners. So you should be able to tell them, hey, I want to do this for the show. And then they'll go, okay, this is a cost. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we're going to commission after the cost. Yeah, They should be taking, in my opinion, they should be taking the, um, after-cost mm-hmm. commission. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you took The
1: Daily Show, were you
2: living decently at this point? Like, were you... I was getting there. I was okay. I yeah. was making enough to survive, like... Uh, yeah, I was going okay. Um, I'm trying to think of... Were you married yet? Uh, no, I wasn't okay. married, yeah. So you're a single dude. Single dude, I was, yeah, I was doing okay. But before The Daily Show, I was doing okay, and, and my analytics, I was trending towards, you know, I was going to double every year. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. I was going from a 1,000-seater. I could probably have doubled that to mm-hmm. whatever it was, you know? Right. So you land in New York finally. Yeah, right? start from scratch. Yeah. And what was it like? It was joyous. Yeah. It was the best. <laughs> it was the best. It was the best. It felt like because I came to New York right when I was 30 years old mm-hmm. and I could feel instinctively, I could feel that I was maturing as a person and I was, my comedy was maturing, but my act was still in the, in, in, stuck in, the twi- in my 20s. Because it was jokes I wrote in my twenties, right? So I could feel like the next that like the next hour, right? If I can figure it out, I think it's, I'm gonna be a better comic, mm-hmm. you know. I, like if I can get to the light at the end of this tunnel, yeah. Um, I think I'll be a better comic, mm-hmm. and I just need to get there because I was still doing older jokes and like jokes from Australia and jokes from when I was in my twenties. And It wasn't really connecting with me anymore, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was creatively reinvigorating to come to New York and perform to people who had no idea who I was Word. and and um, have so many gigs a night. Yeah. And I remember being truly in the moment, feeling really happy being on stage in New York City. Uh-huh. I was like, oh man, this is the best. And that was actually when I was like, oh, I can actually do this you know, Professional, a, yeah. pro, like professionally and not when feel you like landed. Did
1: you just hit the clubs like right away? <laughs> no, I didn't oh, I, really? because
2: I landed from, I was on tour when I landed. Yeah. So I had done, I was, I did Australia and I did Edinburgh and I did London. I did, every, I was doing an hour every day. So mm-hmm. I was like burnt out. Mm-hmm. So I was actually happy to work in the office for the first time. Yeah. Which is what the daily show was. Right. And also we were just starting the show and I felt like I really needed to focus all my attention on it. Yeah, to, for sure. To figure out Do this a good job, job. there, and, Yeah, yeah. And then by by, so that was September, and oh. then by December I was hitting the clubs. So three months. It right. took me about three months to. And and you know you have to you can't just hit the clubs in New York. It's like a hierarchy here. It's like you know you have to like go kiss the ring. You have to like. <laughs> make your You're a nobody yeah first. so yeah. you have to like build the network and contacts and get people to trust you and uh-huh. the daily show is great because it gets your foot in the door yeah but then if you deliver you know people want offer you more gigs you mm-hmm. know so it was a lot of like rebuilding the network of, of yeah of uh, your street cred right yeah. so yeah. at
1: the daily show how much of it is writing like how much of your brain is dedicated to the writing creation process and the performance process
2: Uh, both. Uh, we, we, we write on, we write our segments with writers. So we have help writing it and then we got to perform it. So, so, but we generally at the daily show, we, uh, correspondents write for themselves. So I'm Mm -hmm. not writing for other people or the Trevor, I'm writing for myself. And how
1: much in advance before you write and conceive to the, you're going up on. It's
2: what we start at 11am and then we're filming at 6pm. Every day. Yeah. 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 Wow. But I mean I, I'm not on every day, yeah, so yeah. when it happens when you're on, it's on, and then when you're not on, you can take a breather a bit mm-hmm. uh, but there's two uh responsibilities of correspondence. We do the studio pieces and then we do the field pieces. Mm-hmm. so yeah. field pieces are like like short films, mm-hmm. so you have yep. to you know work out, out there, yeah yeah out, yeah you have, and you have to work out what, what you're trying to tell, what yeah. jokes you want to tell, how you want to tell it, you know that right. kind of stuff. So those are two different skill sets, yeah yeah, and because the daily show is like a news
1: show, you have to now be up on current yeah, events, too exactly. Exactly. Were you
2: incorporating that in your old acts like know? No, no like, I never I never talked about politics in my old act.
1: Oh, okay. I never want So this to is about new politics. that you have yeah. to like study CNN and shit now too. Yeah,
2: but honestly like yeah, okay. I mean, it by stuff you have to study CNN, but it's stuff I was watching anyway, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it wasn't like anything different, and it's not like at a Daily Show like we have to fucking, you know, we have four screens where we're watching all the news at the same time like you kind of, the news comes to you, you know, yeah, yeah. in this day and age. And we, the cream of the crop rises right. to you. yeah. Right. And our job is to talk about what's in the Z guys anyway. Yeah, and yeah. that makes it apparent to us, you know. Right. I mean? If you have to look for it, it's not it's really, not
1: yeah. Right, relevant. Uh,
2: but, yeah. but when you look for it, that's where you get the field pieces. Because mm-hmm. you find the quirky stories to do field pieces. Yeah. But the, the news of the day, that's obvious. Right. It'll be this, it'll be this, this, you know. Yeah. This Trump thing, whatever, you know. Right.
1: That, yeah. When you were at Edinburgh, did you, did you have your own
2: manager and agent? No, I, I did. I was So my Australian guy was doing everything. He okay. would come to Edinburgh with me and organize that. Okay. Uh, it's, this is where it gets very com- uh, a bit nuanced. This is inside baseball. But when I went to Edinburgh, I was basically produced by the Soho Theatre in London. So the Soho Theatre in London is like the, uh, what's the equivalent here? Like the Lago. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, it's like the Lago Theatre in LA. It's like a respected theatre of live performing where, you know, Eddie Izzard will come and try his new show. Like, uh, all the big English guys will everyone will pass through that field mm-hmm. at some point. So the Soul Theatre liked what I was doing in Australia. So they invited me to perform in, in London. Mm-hmm. And then they also kind of arranged for me to perform in Edinburgh. So they yeah. produced the show. So I was lucky that they did that. So well, I asked because when you got the daily show yeah, gig, yeah. did you already have representation? No. In 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 America? Yeah. I actually did. I actually had my agent, my US agent worked with me from before I moved to America. He's been oh. with me since before day one how did you find that person it was at i think it was at the the same just for laughs oh uh, you
1: met him in montreal
2: yeah where i performed with trevor oh cool and he, he was there yeah and he wanted to work with me nice yeah and he was one of the few guys who was signing people outside of america yeah and i thought it was a, a very common thing but now that i'm in america i'm like man these guys yeah. never look outside america yeah they don't give a fuck about what's happening outside of america so
1: talk about how important it is to have like, reps. good representation. Dude, it's,
2: it's, man, the U.S. entertainment mm-hmm. industry is such a weird beast that you have to keep hiring people to do the job you thought the last guy did. <laughs> you have right. to keep going. Like, you get, you, if you get a manager, you're like, oh, I got a manager. And guess what? You need an agent to actually book the gigs. And guess what? If you book the gigs, you need a lawyer to actually figure out the contracts. And guess what? You get all that? You need a business manager to figure out the taxes. Like, what about the first three people yeah, that couldn't so have done no, that? None no. of those people can do it. And <laughs> no, none of these people either can book a flight. So you need, to, you need a PA <laughs> right. to book the flights. And then also, oh, you, wanted some, you want some press to advertise what you're doing? Oh, that's a publicist. PR. Yeah, we got to get you. Yeah, PR, that's yeah. a publicist. That's not the manager or agent. You got to keep hiring people. You're on tour. You want someone to make sure the, the fucking sound is working? You got to get a tour manager literally this conversation i have with my reps all the time is like so everything i need to get done is like i gotta hire another person to do it you know that's how they, that's how america works and if you can so you have like all these people that have to get I, a cut of the check yeah, too yeah 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 and and so that's why i say you make less than 50 cents on the dollar mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after tax so in exchange for all of these people getting a slice of the pie yeah but the pie is huge yes that's 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 exactly it so right. in america because there's a higher ceiling the idea is that you're making more money. You're spending more money, but you're making more money. Whereas in Australia, we made less money, but we also spent less money to make it. Which is better? Man, I think America, the, yeah, I think America is better. Yeah, because the pie is that big. The pie is bigger, but also it's not, you know, we, um, it, I know we're a business, we're, this is a business podcast. So we're talking a lot about money here, but it's, you know, for me, it's the, it's the platform for storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's better here. You know, mm-hmm. they've got more resources here, the bigger market. Yeah. They tell very contemporary stories. Mm-hmm. They're very cutting edge here with right. storytelling. Right. So for me, that's what it is. The energy here is just better to... Yeah.
1: And I think because everyone's playing at that level, it yeah. makes you hone yeah. your skills too. Exactly. Go yeah. step Same up. with design. The like
2: being in New York, like it's it's the NBA every yeah. day. Yeah. yeah. I tell my agents all the time, I always, I'm always i always like this, you know, well, every time something doesn't go right, I'm always like, I thought this is the NBA, man. Mm-hmm. We're in the NBA and we can't get flights, or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So um yeah you have to step up like right. you're, you're you're literally at the cellar you're following dave chappelle you know mm-hmm. you're at cellar, like chris Rocks gonna come in one time like it was one time louis uh, aziz amy schumer and then madonna came in you gotta follow that so you have to step up you know like right. you have to be able to uh deliver so yeah, yeah. um the business of things i would say um it's very easy to hate on reps in hollywood mm-hmm. because uh. Um, because we're all frustrated artists and yeah. it's very easy to take out our frustrations on these people who promise to help us. Yeah. But the truth <laughs> is that uh, no one has the answers. Uh-huh. So these fucking people don't have the answers either. If they had the answers, man, they would just execute on the algorithm. Yeah. But they don't. They're trying to figure it out, right? Yeah. The, the other problem with Hollywood is that Hollywood is very aspirational. Mm-hmm. So it deals in storytelling and... Uh, and dreams. Yeah. Right? Like this is what we could do. This is what we could. It's very aspirational. And if you go into Hollywood like I did and I have I tone I have to tone myself down when I do this. We're going to Hollywood going like what are we going to do? What is re- like results and what are the results and how are we going to get there? And stop telling me that you like this or that. Just how <coughs> we how are we going to make this thing? Yeah, yeah. Like, actually make it. Step one, let's make this thing. Mm-hmm. If you get too real with them you, you, you actually collapse the whole industry into its own asshole because they, they deal in aspirations. Yeah. And so you can't expect them to be too honest. Interesting. You, cannot, you can't actually go like, yo, just give it to me straight. Uh-huh. Give it to me straight. <laughs> right. can, we, can, you know, can I be in this movie? Because mm-hmm. if they give it to you straight, the answer is, yo, you're not famous enough. You're not talented enough to overcome mm-hmm. the lack of fame. So No. And then when when they say that, then it becomes then what we why are you hiring me for? Yeah, as in what 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 if I if I'm the manager, and I said that to you. Right, it becomes like why are we working together? Why are we working together? Then right. the whole industry falls into their own right. asshole. So you need to yeah to have the smoke and mirrors is you, necessary. Yeah, you need to understand that these guys, mm. uh, you know, uh, that's where they they're come from. Makers. That's yeah, the they're they're dream makers. makers. But on the on the flip side, if I'm a manager, it's important for me to make you believe that dream so that you can become better too. Yes, depending on the client so in my case it's like i i i like my reps a lot because they are they're very honest with me by hollywood standards they always give it to me straight and they understand my personality and i'm like you just just tell me no and i can take it man i mean i'll be disappointed but i'm not gonna be angry at you guys yeah yeah just just give it to me straight you know and so they they that's why you know i like my reps a lot they kind of match my personality a bit they they, they without being rude they right. always kind of give it to me pretty straight mm-hmm. but some people don't can't like you said some people can't hear it straight they yeah. need the they need the fucking yeah you're the pack. best yeah. man you know and we all have well we're, we're all different yeah. you know yeah i mean if you're all creatives aside right yeah. like every profession i think
1: we want to be judged on our product and our performance yes. only But in hollywood in particular it's a lot of who you know it's not who's the best sure it's if you if you know a b
2: and c you're getting that gig sure and uh john chu told me the director of crazy asians he said that navigating the politics is part of the art Mm. at that level if you want to make art at that level you have to understand that navigating the politics of it is part of the art yes it's part of the craft yeah and you can't say I don't wanna give I don't I don't wanna care about this politics and all this stuff. I just wanna make the art because right. that's you know good luck to you. Good luck to you because you can't do it. So he kind of helped me understand that as well. And so I you know, and yeah, so I give my reps I, I think I don't know, you have to talk to them and what they think about <laughs> me. But I think like I try to be understanding of that stuff as well, you know, and yeah. not give them such a hard time. And right. you know, it's easier to just take the stuff out on them. But yeah. Um I think good reps, what's funny in America is that nothing will happen, nothing will happen, nothing will happen. And then when shit starts happening without the reps, you can't complete that, that like last 10%, you need the reps to come in and, uh-huh. and do the mafia thing and figure it out. Right? <laughs> without, you know, it's weird. Like, like you can't measure it by how much actual work is uh-huh. done. You, no. It's something, you know what I mean? Like it's, sometimes it's even, I think about this too, cause I have
1: protectors of my business. Right. And I feel like sometimes even down to the meeting, when you walk into the meeting room, whether you walk in alone or with a posse. I hate to say this, but it comes down to, like, what color is the posse? How tall is the posse? What? Like, all these
2: things matter. No, no. I, I don't doubt that they matter, <laughs> but I'm just saying you're in a different world to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm in comedy. Like- Wait, are all your reps Asian? <laughs> oh, no, no. My okay. reps are- Oh, that's what you mean. As in who you're coming in the Yeah, oh. yeah. I think... Yeah, and that brings me to a very interesting Asian point mm. in America, which is, like, you know, we're trying to play this game, and there's, you know, there's the Asian audience, which is extremely... Fr- fractured yeah in what they want yeah. and then there's the mainstream american mm-hmm. game you know and you you, you 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 gotta play the you gotta pick a side almost yes. you know what i mean because you go one way too much and then the other side doesn't want you anymore i know so you know it, it's a very interesting line yeah and and my whole philosophy has always been i don't like to pander so I'm not looking to get everybody. Mm-hmm. I just want to just do the comedy I like, and hopefully people get on board, and hopefully mm-hmm. I'm saying the things I want to say. Yeah, you know. But um, yeah, it's very interesting. I can I can see that happening because I'm in between worlds uh-huh. with that stuff. I see the YouTube Asian guys. Yeah, you know, killing it, and yep. then I see the mainstream Hollywood, and those the worlds are like, it's freaking you know yeah. like different universes. Yep, totally. You know, I've been lucky to kind of be in both sides a lot you know so i did my head in both sides so i can kind of get a gauge on like you do ride that line really
1: well i feel oh thanks man yeah but i also feel like the the reason why it's so hard to ride that line is because society is like trying to ride a wave it's always changing like you know how pro-asian or pro your people you can be versus Mm -hmm. how mainstream you could be Mm -hmm. probably changes like on a weekly basis at this point you know what i mean like things you said on the netflix show You might have not said, like, a couple years back, but it was okay to say it in this environment that we're in.
2: I can can agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: No one is immune to playing the game. It really comes down to whether you want to avoid it or play it to the best of your ability. But once you make it, eventually, it's going to find you. It's almost like a necessary evil to figure out. But maybe, just maybe playing the game isn't as bad as we think it is. That is, if we can figure out how to play it. Now, Ronnie shared with us three crucial things here. First, Hollywood is aspiration. The smoke and mirrors of Hollywood is a necessity, or else the entire industry would collapse. Fair enough. It is, after all, Hollywood. Second, as told by John Chu, the director of Crazy Rich Asians, navigating politics is part of the art at this level. Meaning, in order to survive in the big leagues, you have to play by the rules of the big leagues. The irony of this situation is that in Hollywood, the most ruthlessly brutal industry, oftentimes setting big aspirations to the point of sheer ignorance can actually go a long way. Ronnie says it himself, the false promises are necessary. It's almost like the false promises are what fuels the industry's economy everyone has to want to buy into the dream and Ronnie's third point is he doesn't pander it's almost as if he's lucid dreaming and watching the game unfold while he himself is playing in it he's willingly dipping his feet wet but careful not to completely dive into the deep end Ronnie says it himself he doesn't have to get everyone he doesn't care he's aware that there is no way to win everyone over he could either try his best to appease the fractured audience or continue doing what is true to himself, even at the risk of losing some people. Because after all is said and done, the only person he has to report to is the person staring back at him in the mirror. And by the way, the same goes for me, and the same goes for you. So speaking about
1: reps, Hollywood, Yeah. How does one get a Netflix show? <laughs>
2: oh. Um, How did that come about? Uh, you, quite honestly, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, again, a million dollar question. If, if we knew we could just, you know, do that, do that get, every week. But basically, in my opinion, it mm-hmm. comes down to you need to get enough momentum around you so that people know your name, Yeah. that this guy's doing some good work. And then you need to invite them to come to a show, like a see the one hour mm-hmm. if they don't know who you are. At a club. uh, wherever it is, yeah, club or theater, oh, yeah, theater or on tour. Mm-hmm. And then hope that they actually show up. And then if they show up, uh, they hope that they like it enough yeah. to offer you. That's really what it is. And Was so- there a concerted
1: effort one day you and your team sat down and said, okay, we are going to get on Netflix. Here's how
2: we're going to do it. Um, yes, yes, and no. Like, it was a goal, but uh-huh. like, there's no, like, again, there's no way to actually execute on that, yeah. you know, other than, Hope. Od- yeah, no, other <laughs> than, other than knowing the decision makers and then making them aware uh-huh. that you want to make a Netflix special mm-hmm. and then. Making it kind of easy for them to actually watch it, Mm -hmm. and then hope that they like it. Right, that's that's that that would be the plan, in my opinion. Yeah, Yeah. the stuff you can control, you try to control, and then did all those things happen? You arranged for the the them to come, they came, they liked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I already knew them from before. Okay. Um. Uh. Actually, what? Funny enough, how how small this world is. Like the guy who runs comedy Netflix used to work at Just for Laughs, so he saw me. He invited me to Just for Laughs a Ah. few times, so he's aware of me and. That's a very f- good lesson. Don't forget where you came from. Right. Because if yes. you treat people like
1: shit, like you don't yeah. know when you're going to see them again. Well, you yeah, know?
2: you shouldn't treat people like shit anyway. Yeah, for sure. But, but, but and, uh, from a practical point of view, yeah, because yeah. this is a small industry, man. No one can do it on by themselves. No yeah. matter how angry you are, you can't do, you know, you can't, this isn't, it it it's a, it feels like a solo sport because you're doing comedy by yourself. Yeah. But if you, a- everyone who did anything Always had either someone believe in them uh-huh. at some point. Someone said, "Yeah, you're." Good. Whether yep. you got a job in the office or you got a, uh, you know, a design a show, yeah. a show, whatever it is, Someone had yeah. some point had to be like, "Yeah, this guy's yeah. okay."
1: Even if you're the most curmudgeon like, right, lonely guy, <laughs> right. someone
2: had to help you out. Yeah, something had to help you out, yeah. and so you just understanding that and and uh, working well with other people, mm-hmm. you know, which I think in creative industries because we don't work in the office, we don't need to understand politics or human relations because mm-hmm. we're like that's for the office people right but it's like yo this is a business business no. just like anyone else yeah, it's yeah. an industry like anything else right. there's other people just like so you have to know how to deal with people like yeah. it's you know so i think a lot of creative types as performing artists especially kind of eschew that right they are like why is this so much politics in this because it's humans it's mm-hmm. humans trying to do shit like yeah. it's gonna you have to know how to navigate that. right uh so i had enough momentum i think where and you know, the I think the Daily Show was helping, and then uh-huh. the movie helped. Uh-huh. And I'm 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 glad that they came. I I did a show at Gramercy Theater here in mm-hmm. New York City at the New York Comedy Festival yeah. about two years ago, and they came and they liked the show. Right. And I'm, yeah, I'm I'm happy they did because quite frankly, no one else wanted to do it. So I mean, you know, it's not like I have options. When you got the green light, did you feel like, all right, this is this is fucking it,
1: uh, or was it just another? I, I mean
2: another thing because like <laughs> I, I never feel like anything is this is fucking it uh-huh. I always just feel everything's just like another step forward yeah, and then, um, yeah I don't Interesting. yeah I don't pat myself on the back with that stuff like I made it it's like uh, we're still at the end of the day you can't come and watch me bomb you know I'm always trying to figure out the next joke like right. it never stops like right. it's not like now but after can, that came out there had there's like a before ronnie before and ronnie post netflix right but for me i'm the same dude you know what i mean it's just like i because that show i was doing that show for two years around america (laughs) yeah for me nothing has changed Mm -hmm, personally mm -hmm. i'm like i still think the thoughts i thought in that special i was thinking it a year ago Uh i'm still thinking after the special release i'm i I think i'm glad that um so internally i'm the same externally externally, i think it moved the needle a little bit i Mm -hmm. can tell like um like I did a show in Vancouver and, you know, I sold out two theaters there. So I'm about to announce the national tour Mm -hmm. on Monday. I I feel like it moved the needle a little bit. Right. Culturally. It did. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Like there was, for some reason, like it came out when? November or December? Yeah, November. Late November. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But for some reason, like for me anyway, and it's funny how things that go viral hit different parts, different times. But like for one week, like in January, everyone was like, you have to watch this. You have to watch this. It was so
2: weird. Like something clicked right right yeah it's hard to break it's hard to break through all the content that's out now you yeah know? so i'm glad people got behind it i guess you have to wait for netflix to figure out your algorithm and
1: make it rise to your front screen uh-huh. you know?
2: like- yeah i think they i think i benefited from ali wong's algorithm to be honest <laughs> you know what i mean right. like if you like ali wong you might like this guy or yeah, maybe, yeah. i don't know i don't know what the algorithm is but uh yeah i'm glad they got behind it yeah. you know they pushed it they had world-class marketing mm-hmm. they took my ideas on board i told them how i wanted to market it mm-hmm. I, I said i wanted this to be like a um classic American showbiz yeah. vibe uh I wanna like kind of see a Asian performer on a platform which we traditionally have never seen them, mm-hmm. which is this kind of classic American showbiz stuff, yep, and uh, but I wanna be saying like you know up like my sub- saying subversive things, but in this kind of classical backdrop right
1: and, that's all part of the planning, yeah, down yeah. to your even like your attire yeah yeah just like, like keep the it classy. way you're dressed yeah yeah keep it classy talk about that what like what is the purpose of like you're like oh yeah so you're a designer and tight yeah. yeah
2: you're a designer uh so <laughs> um yeah the idea was just um is it like a respect to the old school way yeah okay yeah of like you know we watch all these old comedian uh specials or even old comedian performers in america and just thinking, like, man, what would it be if there was, like, an Asian dude who did that stuff, you mm-hmm. know? And like, so, back in the Johnny Carson yeah, days, Johnny Carson, Yeah, Johnny yeah. Carson, yeah. So, I just wanted to kind of do that, you know, like... And then, also, the the music we chose, like, you know, it's very common to kind of pair hip-hop with stand-up comedy mm-hmm. nowadays, I think, because both are very subversive art forms. Yep. Um, but I just felt like, you know what, I want to make something that's our own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to use like hip hop. Yeah. Like I don't want to use their music. Yeah. I want to use and like, even the screen graphics and everything right. was like, yeah, I want to use like my, I'll make this our own thing. And so I chose like the Shanghai jazz thing uh-huh. that my mom used to listen to. Yeah, um, evening primrose, and it's that was perfect because uh, stand-up comedy started in jazz rooms, uh-huh. um, and jazz clubs, <laughs> and then. Shanghai jazz was from American jazz, but they made it their own, mm-hmm. and they had Chinese lyrics. It wasn't just a translation of songs. They just composed their own music and, Interesting. and, and songs. So it was like, oh, this is perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it fits in with the classic vibe, and so you know, right. that, that's what I was trying to do with it. Yeah. By the way, at yeah.
1: this point, we, we didn't touch on this in a while, but your parents now. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, <laughs> are they now like, holy
2: fucking shit? Uh, are yeah. they still shocked? I mean, I guess. I mean, my, my dad actually uh, passed away very unexpectedly two christmases ago so um but he i think he he managed to come over one time to new york he visited me once in new york we uh-huh. come up to see the daily show and i think he finally like kind of got it a little bit <laughs> yeah um but yeah my my mom like she, you know she she's always been kind of relatively supportive mm-hmm. but like always like how does any of this work you yeah. know like yeah, yeah. but i uh, again i never i never once like Went to them and went like, hey i did this i did this I, I just never talked about it to the point right. where they are like yo why aren't you telling us any of this stuff and i'm uh-huh. like because you know you you kind of open yourself up to criticism right. no, matter, no, no matter what you show them it's like not good enough anyway at so, least if
1: your parents are asian
2: yeah yeah so <laughs> literally whatever you show them is like parents like that when they hear from other people it, it kind of solidifies it more totally yeah when they hear from you they're like i don't care what you think <laughs> you're like you're, literally it's like you're a liar yeah right? why would you why would I believe? Yeah, I'm gonna you? ask around. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> ask around. Like, yeah, I'm gonna ask. I, when I hear from other people, like your aunt or your aunt's friend, then I'm like, oh shit, you're doing comedy. Like, yeah, yeah. So, you
1: know. have you ever been called out or criticized for some for like the racial remarks that you make?
2: No, I don't think so.
1: No, good. I can't. Everyone th- gets it. I, I always wonder, so. like, is there is there such a thing as going
2: too far in comedy? Um, I think maybe, but. Here's how it is. It's, I'm, I'm a professional stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. I do this professionally. So my job is to come up with jokes that no one could think of. And in my opinion, good comedy is always edgy. Mm-hmm. It, it goes close to the line. Close, yes. Sometimes it even crosses the line. Mm-hmm. Sometimes crossing the line is the point. Yeah. You're, you're trying to make. You cross the line to make the point. Yep. So this is, a you know, uh, we don't always get it right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get it wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, this is an art form, not a science. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no equation to go this plus this plus right. this equals funny. This plus this plus this equals funny too but much. it's too much. Yeah, you, It's an art form. Yeah. You got to feel it out. Yeah. And so you feel it out and we don't, you know, sometimes you get it wrong and then you, you know, you bring it back and that's, mm-hmm. that, but that's part of the job, you know, that's like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Right? What are we doing? If all we did was save stuff, like this isn't, that's not So do you respect the
1: comedian even when he goes too far?
2: Yeah. If he's trying to joke, I will, there's a, like a Omerta kind of brotherhood with it of like right if you're gonna play with dynamite then you better be spot on right you know you're playing with dynamite here so you better be spot on i've heard people tell jokes about awful things i'm like man this is hilarious you know Uh what i mean like you nailed it you really played with dynamite here and you pulled it off and i've I've seen people get blown up horribly trying to yeah it happens all the time blow up their career (laughs) yeah blow up their career so you know i because because i'm because i'm a comic i you know, my brain is broken, man. Mm-hmm. If you tell me any topic, no matter how horrible it is, my first thought is a joke. For, I'm trying to come up with a joke for it. But that's just how my brain works because uh-huh. I'm a professional comedian. That's right. what happens. So, right. uh, and I'm not saying that, again, it, I, wouldn't, I might not necessarily express it publicly, but mm-hmm. that's what I'm thinking in my yeah. head, you know? So well, I think great comedy is edgy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so
1: this brings me to my next question about process. The birth of a joke so something comes into your head you, yeah. you hear something in the news or someone says something right yeah. do you how do you are you taking a note like do you make a note of it in your in your phone and you're like this is a topic and then you
2: start like marinating on yeah. it in your head so uh, uh about three years ago uh-huh. i started going back to paper notepads okay paper no i have it in my in my uh, coat actually but um great mm-hmm. invaluable so you just any any thought you have any funny thought you have like this might be a bit and then you write down right and then you try to figure out how to turn it into some a funny thought that cuz it made me laugh in, <laughs> internally how mm-hmm. do i express this to someone else so that they will laugh about this as well when do you start to experiment and try them live yeah i go on stage and just do it as
1: soon as possible that night what's the if, have you ever taken a success rate average on your first fresh jokes coming out of the
2: nah, it's, straight it's, out the it's notebook? It's too hard. It's too hard to, as in, it's art form. Yeah. So sometimes no it nails right away, yeah. and sometimes you just get silence. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the same, man. You just, it does, yeah. Like uh, moving to New York and getting older has definitely made me a, a way. I think better comic, way edgier comic, more mm-hmm. a little bit more fearless. Yeah. You know, and just whatever, man, just say, you know, in New York it's fun like that. You just say whatever right. and then it, you know, do you
1: get an advantage or a handicap now because you're more famous? Like, you know, there's an
2: expectation now uh, if I go to a stand-up club and oh shit, uh, Ronnie's here. Make yeah. me laugh, motherfucker. Yeah. Like I, I, I always had that pressure anyway. Um. I always had that pressure on myself anyway uh, that, you know, we have to deliver. Like I said, you're following freaking whoever. Yeah. You need to be able to deliver at this level. we the NBA right now. So I always, I always had that pressure anyway. Uh, now I think it's uh, people come and they like you. And so I think you actually get like like Seinfeld. If you watch Seinfeld's Comedian, mm-hmm. great documentary. I, I, every year I watch that documentary and I get something new out of it. Uh, but Seinfeld said like, no matter who you are, they give you about 30 seconds. mm if you're Jerry Seinfeld, they will give you 30 seconds. But then after 30 seconds, you better be Got actually... That, that's true, I think. Yeah. yeah. You know, comedy is like a really great equalizer. Like uh-huh. that. It's like meritocracy. It yeah. doesn't matter who your dad is. doesn't matter what, the, you know, whatever you did, what movie you're in. If you're coming on stage, right. you know, following Dave Attell, you better bring it. Otherwise, yeah. he's gonna make you look like an idiot. Does this happen to comedians? Like, you know how musicians
1: when they go on when they perform, they always want them to do like Pharrell do Happy. Uh, you know, like I've do heard do that like,
2: happening for comedy, but I've never seen it. They're not like do the, I
1: mean, Asians and presidency.
2: Yeah, like I've heard it anecdotally because my new show is completely different to a Netflix show. Yeah, and they want to hear that maybe live. Well, that that my opinion is it's my job to do if you release a special then that's it you don't that's do it. that stuff anymore so you're yeah. dead you're done with those jokes yeah you don't do that stuff anymore right it's too uh, big i mean everyone well not just that i just feel creatively mm-hmm. push yourself you know like yeah, yeah. you've done it let's next no one's gonna you know like that's what this is about right, right. next you joke. Yeah. but my my wife told me at the last show in vancouver people are like oh i wish he you know when they're walking out yeah, they're yeah, like yeah. oh i wish he did the yeah this joke or that joke right and that's always nice but guess what those people they can just go watch on Netflix. <laughs> you know what i mean but totally yeah If you've never taken a
0: look at Ronnie's stand-up, I highly suggest you do so now. His most recent Netflix special is called Asian Comedian Destroys America, and it's amazing. Now, for those who are familiar, do you guys remember his viral 2016 segment on The Daily Show where he responded to Jesse Waters' interview from Fox News? If not, I highly suggest you pause the podcast right now and look it up quickly on YouTube. Search for The O'Reilly Factor Gets Racist in Chinatown. Long story short, Ronnie roasted a Fox News correspondent for conducting racist interviews in New York's Chinatown by conducting a proper political discourse with the locals himself. His response was filled with anger and a flurry of curse words, but the critique was tasteful and well done. Now, I remember four years ago watching this and thinking, damn, this is exactly what we need right now a type of humor that is not only edgy, but relatable for a largely ignored part of America. Rather than finding the easy way out and piling more stereotypical jokes for a quick laugh, he managed to use humor to offer Americans a different perspective on race. And just like Ronnie said earlier, not only is great comedy edgy, but it's also a great equalizer. This is evident not only in that one clip, but the entirety of his career. For Ronnie, comedy is about crossing the line and knowing how to play with dynamite. There is no topic that goes unnoticed on his radar. Racial profiling, check. Consumerism, check. Immigration, check. Using comedy as a way to confront the ugly truths, he is literally living his life on the edge, played out for all the world to see, and he manages to do it while also empowering a deeper message.
2: Kudos to Ronnie. We didn't really talk about the business side of things. I'm like, yeah, most people don't understand how the business side of comedy mm-hmm. works, like how you can get paid to just make, tell jokes, you know? yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but especially like doing live. Yeah. Like do, booking your
2: own live events. Yeah, yeah. It can be very lucrative, right? It can be. I mean, if you can make it, you know, so there's like college gigs. Yeah. There's corporates, mm-hmm. which suck. And mm-hmm. then there's, um corporates always suck. They just, then, that's when they just pay you to show up at a company headquarters and... do uh, Literally do comedy in the boardroom. Right, like, like here, this. Right yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Um, because people don't understand like, you know, comedy needs like context, uh-huh. right? You can't just do it under fluorescent lights in the office. Right. Uh, and then there's comedy clubs. Mm-hmm. And then if you get big enough, you can kind of do theaters and stuff like that. Yeah. Isn't theater yeah. less money? No, no. It should be more. Okay. Although it's just, um, it should be at least equal or more. Okay. If, if the theater is less money, then I yeah. Right? It's very hard to justify doing it.
1: Is, As, how about
2: like Hollywood films? Um, That's the golden ticket, no? I guess so. It depends. You know, it depends. Uh, right now, it's a changing industry. So, it depends. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong that the, there's still a lot of money in that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, if you had to just play the odds of money, you're like, yeah, okay, that.
1: And which way are you going to plan for in your new future? Uh,
2: I'm trying to... I, I really love doing stand-up comedy. It's my profession. It's what got me everything else. So, yeah. I don't think I will stop doing it. Mm-hmm. No, I, I love doing it. I'm trying to build my own fan base so that when people... Come to my comedy they come because they want to see me yeah. Not 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 going to a bunch of people where i have to like prove myself to mm-hmm. these idiots you know it's like all people who are like oh yeah we like this guy let's go yeah. watch him which creates a different vibe mm-hmm. you know like a theater vibe yeah um and
1: then um when you uh, say do stand-up comedy because to me when you go to an open night or like just do a little new york city yeah, club yeah versus doing like an hour-long one-man show yeah, yeah, yeah. you're doing stand-up comedy in yeah. both but which one are you talking
2: about um both, both but basically the short spots yeah. are for you to get better and write new jokes and to yeah. get better at like delivery that's, that's like no that's like the gym yeah batting then, practice like yeah you're, it's practice yeah and then the one hour shows is like that's like that's the main uh, stage yeah main stage like yeah. that's the that should be your business like uh-huh uh build a fan base you know right. um perform uh, mm-hmm. your own show the so way that's you what you want to be doing more yeah, yeah. of oh yeah yeah no but i've always been doing that i haven't yeah. stopped doing that right. So I, I mean do more but like, continue continue, continue. continue. Do it. yes yeah yes. continue to do it. so Versus i guess it's like doing
1: four movies a year because there's yeah. only so much time sure. in your life Sure. Sure. and sure. i would say one of the biggest disadvantages of being a comedian is the inability to um replicate and scale you you have to choose sure. between five Hollywood movies, a twelve-city sure, tour, sure, right? Sure. sure, sure, sure. So, which one do you think? Right, yeah. Well, that's you a just good said point. you'd rather do the tour at this point.
2: Yeah, because uh, first of all, if I'm getting four movie offers a year to do four movies, and I can actually do all four, then I mean, I have no problems. My yeah. life is good. You know, right. like I'll, I'll take that four mm-hmm. and then I'll just tour again the next year. But yeah. that's not happening. So, right. like <laughs> with with stand comedy, the best thing is like you can't really fire yourself. Mm-hmm. so you always have that, you know, like yeah it, it you always seems have you yeah, yeah, it seems risky when you first start out business wise like mm-hmm. what are you doing with this you know um uh risky business that might not work out, but guess what if you if you figure it out like i can't get- i can't, i can't get retrenched, yeah, you know what I mean like I got friends in the corporate world who can get fired yeah made redundant mm-hmm. i i can't make myself redundant right you know i mean unless you i own your own destiny yeah a little bit you know and it actually becomes like less risky to do mm-hmm. this you're right you know at as some you point, build it up yeah yeah it becomes less risky you, you know in, in for stand-up comics we we essentially do a bit of everything right mm-hmm. we write all material hopefully we can appear in tv and films and stuff like that my point is like i i don't i will lean towards doing stand-up just because i love doing it and also it's i have got control over that you know mm-hmm. I can, like, plan my tour out. I can do what cities I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's like something to... It's like a job. Like you right. Can, it's a joy to make something and know that the business side of it will be okay. Mm-hmm. Like, people will come and watch you. You just have to make something good now. You just focus on making something good. Yeah. You don't have to focus on making something good and will people come and watch it, you know? Yeah, yeah. which is stressful for a creative. Yeah, which is 90% of most people making right. stuff now, right? And yeah. then some of us are very lucky that we have... We can... We managed to break through and find a fan base... Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Any uh, any mistakes along the way that like that you wish you can go back and if you had a time machine would you like redo anything?
2: Not really. <laughs> I I probably was a bit too ab- abrupt with um my last TV show uh in Australia. I made a TV show in Australia uh-huh. and um I probably could have managed um relationships a bit better, but I also feel like they, they let me down a long mm-hmm. way. So it's like it's not like a one-way yeah. thing, you know. Maybe I could have managed it a bit better, but mm-hmm. um, so maybe of a TV show, yeah. yeah. I what What is interesting to me, if you want to talk business, mm-hmm. is we, about branding and like positioning yourself in the yeah. market, you know, yep. because assume you're an Asian dude. Yeah. And so, you know, being an Asian guy in America, mm-hmm. positioning yourself is very interesting, you know, yeah. how you position yourself. Because if you go... um in asian people in america it's always like are you trying to tell asian stories or are you trying to say well not asian we're american stop calling us asian mm-hmm. and those are two contradictory yep. philosophies right yeah. and so trying to figure out uh, you know how to navigate that mm-hmm. is one thing and it was, then, it's challenging to to mute both of those and yeah. just do the craft yeah,
0: yeah
1: yeah it is and and so when i started my brand like i was deliberately hiding the fact that i was asian cuz right. i didn't want to be judged on Yo, you make the best right. Chinese made streetwear, like, right. you know, like, exactly. you're the coolest Asian designer I know. Yeah, like, yeah. I didn't want to be that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I,
2: just, I'm the best designer, you yeah. know? Yeah. I just like, I didn't want to be the best Asian comic. Yeah. I just wanted to be the best comic right. I could be. So that's an interesting thing to have to navigate that in America. Yeah.
1: I, I recently interviewed um, Ben Baller. Do you know who he is? Yeah, yeah, I know who I know. Okay. I know of him. I okay. don't know him. Yeah. You didn't buy a piece yet from him. You know? No, no, <laughs> the no. Netflix check wasn't big enough no, to get no. the chain. Hell no, that
2: guy he wears a Netflix check on his neck. Every <laughs> night. Yeah. I know.
1: Um, but he said something really interesting. He said Asians need to stop being so soft. Mm. He's like they need to own and represent basically how dope they are, and he feels like too many Asians are like timid and soft about their success. Do you agree? Uh, do you feel like we could have
2: more of a like a stronger voice? Maybe, but I I'm also of the opinion that your work speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, I don't feel the need to shout. Yeah, yeah. To shout out all this stuff. I just go like if you make good stuff, it speaks for itself. You know, I'm I'm but I don't know maybe that's me being timid. I don't know. Is that, <laughs> is, that tim- is that being timid? It's uh, being humble. I mean, look, it, Okay, sure. Like you could, I guess the culture could benefit from like a Conor McGregor type. Sure, like you know, <laughs> but but even I I think authenticity is the name of the game. And so if you're not that dude, then just don't. Yeah. That, if you are that dude, then go for it. You know. I think right. Ben Baller is that dude. I guess. Yeah. He is. So the he Colin should go McGregor. for it. Yeah. Right. Right. He should go for it. And then if you're not that dude, don't 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 go for it. But I mean, maybe he's speaking to a deeper issue of like people feeling ashamed about their race, which mm-hmm. is accept. Maybe I don't know if it's a what he that's actually what he's trying to say like you know like i remember dude when i first moved to america when i first moved to australia when i first moved to america i have the benefit of being an asian person from asia who has been to two white people countries Mm -hmm. and interacting with asian people who are born there and it was like don't make us look bad yeah You're making us look bad because of the way you sound and the way... When I first started a daily show, it was like, why are you faking this accent? It it didn't matter what I was saying, you know? I I wasn't even making jokes about Asian people. It would be like, yo, this fucking guy is typical Asian voice, you know, he's making us look bad because... Wow, people said that about you when you first started. uh, Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because it was like, um, you know, Asian people born in America have spent most of the childhood kind of trying to be American. Trying to assimilate, yeah. yeah. Blah, blah blah, and then people like me come in, and it's like, we're not this fucking guy. Mm-hmm. We're not this guy. Stop thinking of these people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think what happens is usually people going to college, and then they they start rediscovering their ethnicity, and yeah, then that's start, exactly what happened to me. Yeah, the and then start embracing it more. <laughs> yep. And then in your thirties, hopefully you form a balance, balance right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. and that's the normal journey. So I've seen it happen so many times where I'm I'm less like sensitive about it now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it would be like. Um, just this idea in America of like, you know, just by you being you, you're a piece of shit (laughs) 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 because you'll make, you know, people project their own insecurities onto you, like everything that, yeah. So, um, there's that. There's also trying to speak for a community, which quite frankly is, uh, as you and I both know, the Asian diaspora in America is an extremely diverse group of people brought together to form a voting block. Yeah, but does not nearly represent adequately represent a number of different people. Yo, you say Asian American, it's like you've got. Japanese people, you've got Filipino people, you have Chinese Filipinos, you have Malaysians, you have Chinese Malaysians, you have Taiwanese people, you have Hong Kong people, you have China people, you have uh, Cantonese, Hokkien, Teochew, not to mention you have the American counterparts. So you have American Taiwanese, you have, which American Taiwanese is different to Taiwanese Taiwanese. Then yes, yes. American Chinese Filipino is different to Chinese Filipino. Yeah. So the permutations are endless. Uh-huh. And then we expect like every fucking One Asia, box. Yeah. yeah. Every Asian thing to like hit everyone. Right. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and I think people you didn't don't, even include India or South. Yeah. Asia. Like, we like don't
1: even need to the even, other
2: 25% of the yeah. world. So, you know, my, my point is like, uh, I think sometimes we, you know, this is the pressure that we face here mm-hmm. either by uh, mainstream America trying to force that box yeah. which is hard to contain mm-hmm. or even in the box itself sometimes we get angry at stuff and it's like but that wasn't meant for us. Right. That was someone else's thing. That's, right. That's Japanese stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. whatever. Why am I... They made a good movie. Good. You know, like, yeah. yeah. Parasite. Yeah, it was a great movie. Oh, so they didn't have Chinese people in it. Oh, like, who cares? Like right. it. you know, so I think, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting. And what like what you said is absolutely how I approach it. It's just like, just ignore all these idiots and mm-hmm. make it. Because if these people knew what they wanted to make, they would have made it. Yeah. They don't know. They don't have the answers. Right. You know, so, you know, we'll, we... We'll make stuff that we think to the best of our ability and hopefully people will get behind it. Yeah. And if they don't, it's like, well, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you make stuff, if you're a creator, you, I think you have a very special appreciation for other people who are making stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that tempers the way you analyze other people's uh, work yeah. and, your, and even your criticism mm-hmm. because you're like, oh yeah, that dude, I know how hard it is to actually make something from scratch, man. Yeah. Whatever and Put it, it out into the world. Yeah, yeah, good for you. And if you don't make anything you don't have the perspective of that, you mm-hmm. know? It's so easy to just sit back and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, if, I, that's why I think, like, if you make stuff, you have a different perspective. Do right. You find it weird that no comic ever shits on another comic publicly? You ever hear Seinfeld reviewing Chris Rock? Right. You never hear Chappelle reviewing? No. You never hear that because we all get it. Right. We're like, yo, this is hard, man. Mm-hmm. You know, good for you. You made, you know, whatever you made, good for you. You put in work in it. Right. My point is, like, these are experts. Seinfeld tell us what who's good and who's bad yeah but he he'll never do that because no, he's like right. that's not what it's about it's not about you know what i mean it's it, like they respect people who make stuff i mm-hmm. think you know yeah. so um if you make things whether whatever it is if you open a restaurant or whatever it is i you know i i'm respect you man i know how hard it is to make anything yeah you know? cool yeah that's it. That's all I got. Cool, man. Thanks for speaking. That was speaking awesome. To me.
1: Tell us where we can keep track of you and, like, where, you know, your whereabouts, your shows and everything.
2: Yeah. Uh, we used to give websites, com, but now we give handles, mm-hmm. I guess, at roynechang. So if you're on my Instagram or if you're, you go come uh, visit my website, you'll see my tour dates. I'm announcing them on Monday. I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but it'll probably be out by the time you listen to this. Okay. So You don't announce your your local club nights.
1: You just show up. Yeah. Right? I just go. Yeah. Okay. So go. if you're lucky, you could hit, yeah, the yeah west village and stuff and yeah stuff. yeah yeah
0: cool all right thanks a lot thanks man hey thank you for listening to this hilarious chat with the comedian ronnie cheng you can subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts also please do me a solid and leave a rating and comment and tell us what you think of the show We now have over 550 reviews and a five-star rating. That is incredible. And also, if you have any friends interested in show business, acting, or comedy, tell them about this episode. I think they're going to appreciate it. We occasionally also answer listener questions on the show. So if you have a question, shoot it over to me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Jeff Staple. Our associate producer is Christina Hong. Photos for the show were taken by Ali Imam. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. This episode was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic at the Staple headquarters in New York City. The interludes were recorded during the stay shelter policies to combat the spread of corona, and so we apologize for any subpar audio. We're doing the best we can to still bring you the stories that inspire. Thank you again for listening. I'm Jeff Staple, and this is the business of hype on Hype Beast Radio.